Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 166. Thank you for joining us. Today, Christendom philosophy professor and Lifecraft founder John Kudabak joins Bonnie and I on the Colby Cast. For those of our listeners who have not had the opportunity to enjoy his Lifecraft site, hear his talks online, or read his book, I'm excited to provide an introduction. John provides wonderful insights into living the good life that are so valuable in today's world. I feel very blessed to have been part of this conversation and am pleased to have you with us. We hope that you enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, Colby homeschooling mom of four lads and lasses, liturgical musician, popcorn and podcast fanatic. And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five and director of development for Colby Academy. Stephen, how are you today? Doing very well. It's a hot summer day. Yes, that's just about sums it up. It's just hot. <laughs> Our guest today is Dr. John Cuddeback, whom listeners may recognize as a professor of philosophy at Christendom College the creator of the website Livecraft, and as a prolific writer and speaker. John, welcome to the Colby Cast. Hi, Bonnie. Hi, Stephen. Great to be with you. Thank you so much. We've been looking forward to this conversation. We've got a lot to talk about and lots of things that we'd love to hear from you about. I've been um, reading your articles for a long time and recently have been enjoying your YouTube videos. And so the opportunity to visit with you today, I'm, I'm very grateful for. Thank you. For our listeners who are not yet well acquainted with you, would you tell us a bit about yourself and your work and your family and so forth? I'd be happy to. All right. So um, I am married uh, for now 28 years. My wife, Sophia, we are blessed with six children. Uh, Three of them are now married. And so all of a sudden, I'm a grandfather of five people, which I, um, it it, it has been quite a transition. We still have two living in the home with us. And so it's a, it's a, it's a lovely, beautiful uh, time of, of seeing a new angle under the richness of home life and uh, the many challenges and gifts God gives us there in our home, raising a family. Um, I have been a professor of philosophy at Christendom for that same number of years since I started there the same year we got married. So, so 28 years. And I absolutely love philosophy. My main interest and kind of focus there, we can say is ethics and ethics is the, um, basically the, the science, the, the searching after and accounts for the good life and how to live the good life better in the concrete circumstances of life based upon the right principles. So there's many different wonderful aspects of that. I love, for instance, friendship. I've written a a, a book on friendship that grew out of my teaching at Christendom. Um, One of the things I, I saw early on is that philosophy changes lives. And it had changed my life. And I consider myself extremely blessed to be able to then kind of help others to enter into the tradition of philosophizing, of seeking wisdom, reading great texts together, asking great questions together. The classroom is in certain ways a place like no place else on earth. I, I, I love being together with my students in that oh so special way. And uh, 
again, the difference that it then makes for the things that we do outside the classroom. So I, uh, a few, well, gosh, how many years after I'd been a professor for a good number of years, maybe about 15 years in, um, I started a little blog. And the idea of that was I just like to try to bring some of the things that I'm blessed to bring to students in the classroom, to bring it to a little broader audience, maybe first starting with my former students in the classroom. And, uh, you know, it's just grown in the last 10 years. It started as being called Bacon from Acorns. Um, you wonder why, and in, in short, that the whole other aspect of my life is I have a homestead and I raise many things, um, plants and animals, especially pigs, and um, am, am blessed to have some wonderful bacon uh, emanating from those pigs that fatten in my woods by eating acorns. So I, my first blog was called Bacon from Acorns because I thought that captured so well the divine generosity in you put a pig in the forest, he eats acorns, the next thing you know, with a little bit of work in there, you, you have a wonderful bacon. But um, I, I end up changing that name because everyone said, it's got to say something more about what you're doing, John. So I changed it to Lifecraft because it's basically focused on the principles of trying to craft a good life, especially in the home. So that's, that's where my heart now really is, especially young parents, parents, frankly, of any age, married people, people thinking about marriage, all of us to have a household. How can we bring the insights of philosophy to bear on the great challenges of living in a household today? I was really curious about that as I was kind of looking at you, looking through your website and enjoying your articles and actually kind of signing up for for the courses on your your website and, and going. I'm not all the way through some of them yet, but I was enjoying them. But it, it struck me in all of them um, that that it was clearly a vocation, that it was clearly something, I mean, that you're putting a lot of that you're putting yourself into to uh, to give the, these in, this information about even just just across the board for me like being a father being a being a man being um or these things that kind of tie us to to uh to the homesteading whether it was splitting wood or slaughtering a pig or or these things was there was there a particular time or or maybe experience with students or whatever that it just you said i have to do this this is something that i have to to do more than just be a professor and take and split wood and slaughter pigs and take care of the homestead because it seems like it's a it's also a kind of a lifelong work in the extra things that you're doing i i appreciate the question i i um you are I, I, seeing there and going after something what i think is the great gift um that i've experienced of of uh i like to quote xenophon everything is interconnected I just think you know, the wisdom view sees more and more the extent to which all the different aspects of life are connected and they're connected in a beautiful, wonderful, very providential way. And here, I, why am I saying that here? Well, how uh, the things we do with our body, the very simple things of, of a homestead and working together are so much of a piece with, so deeply interconnected with the the highest things that we pursue, the, the wisdom, the virtue that we pursue. So kind of from the start, I saw that first of all, for me individually, the things that I do 
and a daily basis in my home are very much connected to my study and teaching of ethics about the good life. And for that very reason, then, Stephen, it, it, I saw, well, you know, this is something that I need to try to convey in teaching about the good life. We need to, um, I need to help my students understand, as it were, how incarnated it is, how extremely important the small, the material dispositions of life are. And, and what a difference here, I'll, I'll quote an author I like, Wendell Berry. He's not a philosopher, but he's a literary figure. He loves to say, for all living things, context matters. In other words, all, all living things need a conducive context to thrive. I think this is extremely Aristotelian, and that's, of course, the adjective for from the thought of Aristotle, right? Aristotle with this understanding of there's a such thing as human nature, and all things by nature have certain ways that they thrive. And, and so the whole pursuit after understanding ethics is, is what are the different ways for human nature, especially as embodied, we build this beautiful kind of edifice, this magnificent masterpiece of a good life. So that was kind of a long answer, Stephen, to from early on, I started to invite my students, for instance, to come to my homestead and split wood with me. And it, just for instance, and I found that this kind of thing was, uh, was, first of all, a very good way to connect with them and to have them start to see some of the kind of rootedness, the more beautiful bodily aspects of human life. They very much are a piece of thinking about the higher things like virtue. Uh, as I was looking over some of those things and with your response, I was I'm reminded uh, I was I, t I tended to like to listen or read a lot of the uh, books about business like and, and life sort of Stephen Covey and and some of the other things. And one of the things he mentions there is the law of the harvest. And especially as you're talking about ethics where and your homesteading where you can't plant today and expect to harvest tomorrow. You have to spend time. And so as I was thinking about splitting wood or whatever, you don't, we just moved to, from, from Southern California two years ago to rural Arkansas. So we're, we're starting up the gardens. We're starting up splitting wood and, and heating our home with, we have regular stuff as well, but using that wood heat, but you don't wait till winter to start splitting your, your wood either. You have to prepare and, and build up. And I, so I can see that. I can see if that's integrated, then that's the way with ethics too. You don't just get up and decide to be good, but you have to build those, those habits, those, those yeah. virtues. Yeah. Amen. Sense. If I might just um, amplify that by saying, especially today, especially in a context, it's not conducive, especially in a cultural, socio-economic context that undermines the basic, ordinary, beautiful, incarnated aspects of, of human life. This is a, an extremely powerful negative factor, especially in our children's lives, but frankly, not just in their lives, our lives. And it, the ways, for instance, that we are separated from our own body and from the natural world um, has has profound consequences in how we even think about what human life is, how we do it together, our relationships, our friendships, our 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 home life, right? So so I think especially today, we need to be very intentional, and aware and reflective 
I, I go back to Socrates. He said the unexamined life is not worth living. We, and I love to ask my students, well, what does examination mean? You know, it's not just asking any old questions. It doesn't, doesn't mean as, as some, some contemporaries might just say, oh, we love Socrates. He thinks you should question everything. No, you don't question everything, but you do be very intentional and you do reflect and you look at the age in which you live and you recognize we're going to have to be very aware of how we're going to craft a life, how we're going to try to carve something out. Like I'm sure it was a very big decision for you to move from Southern California to Arkansas. And you were thinking of context. You were thinking of the very concrete things of daily life that especially today make a difference for you and your wife and your children. Well, that, that is much of the reason I was hoping that it would work out for us to visit is to delve more deeply into you some of the things that you have been speaking about regarding relationships among the family members of living on a homestead, as you do, you, you work side by side with your family members day in, day out. I see so many uh, parallels with homeschooling life and just the aspect of relationship among the family members and connection. So I was, I'm hoping to hear more about you, more about that from you and also more of your thoughts on the areas of Lifecraft, the four areas that you've identified there, um, how you came to land on those and and more about those those areas. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd love to. Well, how about this, Bonnie? Um, if I might put it to you this way, human life is always about relationship. I mean, so this is, so this is why the notion of friendship is so central to ethics. Aristotle saw this, no one would choose to live without friends. So, so that in itself, th th there's so much to be seen in here. I, I love connecting philosophy, by the way, to good theology. At the heart of Christianity is that God created us. He redeemed us because he wants to live with us. I like to say life is about dwelling together. And if life is about dwelling together, that has, has a lot of implications for every, every aspect of how we live. So the, the, the home is particularly a place where now more than ever, we need to be practicing this. We need to be passing this on that life is about relationship. Well, how are relationships most richly lived? And we, we, we can't, what does it take to actually live together? This is a very, this is a very Aristotle point. So if you don't, if you'll forgive me, I'm at 30,000 feet. We'll, we'll get, <laughs> we'll get down on the ground here in a moment. Okay. But, but as it, one, one of the great errors of our age is we think, well, you can love in any way, or you can live together in any way. One of Aristotle's great insights, humans can only really live together if they live a certain kind of way. This is expressed otherwise by his point that friendship requires a certain kind of character. It requires virtue. So, so in, in a sense, you might say the great question of life is what kind of life do we have to live so as really to be able to dwell together? Well, there's, there's a natural plan for these things. Here's another aspect that the wise point out to us that our age um, is consistently rejecting. 
we don't make these things up ourselves. We, we look at we look at the kind of given aspects of human nature, and we recognize therein there's certain ways that by a natural design, which means by a divine design, we we can thrive by living together. Well, what are those ways especially? I like to say you can say there there are two: work and leisure. Work and leisure are kind of the two main notes of household life. Of course, household is the most natural daily context for where we live. So here now, you know, we get, now we, you know, we're, we're coming down, we're kind of landing, you know, you always need that 30,000 foot view. You need the principles, but then it, because it leads to the right questions. What kind of work should we cultivate? Should we seek? Should we be striving to be able to do as a way of living together? And then also, especially um, something that is even less understood, what, what are the ways of real leisure? May I just say right now, Bonnie, this and, and Stephen, this always comes back to education. Education properly conceived is always a preparation of the formation of the whole person. To be able, I'd say, to do these things well, it's a formation of the human person to be able to live well in relationship. That's what real education is. Right. We, we, there's the academic part of education, which is essential. But it's, it's interesting that linguistically now, when people think of education, they immediately think academics. I, my hope, especially for homeschoolers, is that they're in a situation to not make that mistake. Though I think we have to be careful. Let's let's not be too, let ourselves off the hook too easily here. I think that we can sometimes just in our home education can make the mistake of taking the common notion of education out there, which overly reduces it to the academic, and then just transfer that to our home. And now education in the home is constantly just taking these classes as though taking these classes is somehow the sum total of education, the education component. Well, Plato says education is forming a person to want the right things. Now there's there the, 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 there's going much bigger. Education is a forming of the heart. It's forming of the heart and soul, so that our soul sings to and with the things that are most beautiful and important in reality. It's fundamentally a, um, a, a formation to love well. Now this doesn't in any way leave behind the intellectual. The intellectual is exceedingly important in that, but again, it's interconnected. It's it's very beautifully interwoven. And that's and that's where we bring in all these other aspects of we're forming people to live together well in the areas, for instance, of work and leisure. My mind immediately went to theology as you were explaining some of these, just with the the relationship and and creation. In that, as as far as I know, our God is the only one who, in Himself, has relationships, right? Without other beings, so so fundamentally, when He makes us in His image, that's part of the image that we're getting. Although we can't do that by ourselves, male and female, He's created us. But then you you immediately go into work and leisure, and what does God show us first in Genesis? Work and creation and leisure the rest on the first day and brings man into that so i mean so seems seems like the right track right right to uh to pursue to bring ourselves up to what god what god is all about 
I like that. I like that, Stephen. Good, good philosophy and real theology always, always go hand in hand. They always go hand in hand. I, I like that 30,000 foot view. That's always helpful to, to zoom out and, and remember kind of our, what we're aiming for here as, as part of that broader view and for Colby families who are um, seeking to address that formation of the whole person uh, in part by utilizing the, the classical education that Colby offers. Could you speak to some of the key aspects of, of classical education that, that, are salient to this discussion. Sure, sure. You know, there, there's of course there's so much there, Bonnie. Um, so one one thing one thing that particularly comes to my mind that just kind of comes of some recent experience. One of the beautiful aspects of um, the tradition of classical education was that it gives a common language. It gives a common stock of stories, of images, of key questions to be asked. But I want to, I want I want to particularly stick with the with the stories. I mean, there's there's, there's so many things. Um, right here, I'm just I'm thinking I'm thinking Homer. I'm thinking Virgil. I'm thinking Livy. The, the the stories of ancient Rome, the stories of the Greeks, um, these, though not everyone in the stories are people that one would want to emulate, the stories themselves are so expansive and nourishing of first the imagination and then the understanding. I put it this way from, from kind of a philosophical viewpoint. Philosophy is always seeking an account. It's, it's ultimately interested in getting to the higher things. It, starting with the common things of experience around us, it starts to ask deeper questions and seek answers to those, but always arises from, quote, experience. But here's one of the interesting things I'd say about human experience. If you just limited human experience to kind of what you and I do when we go outside our door and pursue the daily work of our life, as rich as that is and as important as we were just talking about, I'd say it's part of a natural plan that your experience be broadened by being exposed to a much vaster experience that's passed on to us in stories. And, in, and this has been done in different cultures in different ways. It could be an oral tradition. Obviously, now we're much more in a written tradition, although you know, some of those things we're reading, it was themselves the fruit of an oral tradition. But how enriched we are when we have, for instance, Eumaeus, the swine herd of the Odyssey. Here, Odysseus is coming home, and he's he's in the woods, and, he, and, and, and this just transcendently beautiful conversation here where Eumaeus doesn't recognize him. The kind of human dispositions that you see coming out there, the kind of the kind of loyalty, 
the kind of integrity, the kind of perseverance that, that this story, it, particularly in the context of a man who works in a certain way and stewards the land and the animals in a certain way, th these things are utterly unforgettable. And so expand your experience beyond the parochial experience of your own immediate life. This is a very important basis ultimately for pursuing wisdom. Because of that expansion of your experience, it much more uh, gives the fertile soil in which wonder arises. Uh, Aristotle says that wonder is the beginning of philosophy. So I'd say, so particularly, it's being exposed to a richness of human experience, but not just any human experience, a human experience that our tradition has shown was a particularly rich expression of human experience. And so that's why there's a, there's kind of a canon of things that one reads. There's kind of a, an understanding of going to these stories, going to these men, going to these thinkers is a key way of expanding anybody's life experience. This is the way we've always done it in our civilization. We go back to these things. So I, I, I can't emphasize enough kind of what a gift it is to expose our children to this, to expose ourselves to this, what, what an utter... Um, what an utter shame it is, so much is being, uh, that other children, other young people are being robbed of in not having their soul and mind inflamed and expanded by exposure to these things. And what, especially as you're talking about ethics earlier and that being an interest, it seems, it is the case. I know with Aristotle in his ethics, he talks about the appropriate kind of age of somebody who can study ethics and it's not a high school student it's not a 20 year old right because you can't see you can't see the consequence consequences of your action when you're 16 years old or even when you're 20 years old and it's difficult even at times when you're 30 40 years old yeah but i, I love the, i love this because it adds this this you know the richness of these wonderful texts that are asking the questions that people have struggled with or you know, in the Iliad, the Odyssey, these beautiful things, but also the histories and seeing what are the natural consequences of, of the actions that, you, that a people take when a, when a civilization starts to embrace the wrong things, what happens, you know, all of these things that, that, you know, going off to college, you know, a wonderful Newman guide school and starting these studies without this extra experience, I don't know how you approach ethics, how you approach um, philosophy yeah. without getting, you'd have to trust your, obviously you'd still have to trust your master as you're going into those things. But without that experience, I think it would be nearly impossible to to truly kind of study that at a young age. And you know, Stephen, the thing that really strikes me in what you're saying, uh, to come back to kind of a basic principle of the wise, I, I love this point. St. Thomas Aquinas says many of the most important things that we need to know about reality, to need to know about life, we see by observing things in the natural world around us, especially organic things, especially living things. This, by the way, is is a reason that I, I really encourage people, and I do this full-heartedly, full-throatedly um, garden. To, to garden, I, I almost don't, I, I, to say 
to garden is an education can make it sound almost too utilitarian. To garden is to live. I, 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 I can't emphasize enough how I think this is an important aspect of connecting ourselves with the book of nature, a book that clearly the divine creator intended through which we would learn. And why am I saying that right now? One of the main things you learn in the book of nature, and it comes out very much when then you work with nature in stewarding it, in guarding it, gardening, is the, the slow plan of development which you mentioned earlier, the kind of organic process of maturation, each thing in its time and each thing building up to the next. Now, now the child is, is given milk and one, in one day will be given more solid foods, but you don't give solid foods to the baby. And, but the milk is precisely what by a natural order is, is, feeds, it, it nourishes, that brings about that growth. And so education is so much a matter of timing, of recognizing uh, it's not a rush. I, 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 sometimes I think that homeschooling parents can get a, a little bit of a tizzy. I'm, I'm behind, I'm behind. Oh my goodness, I have to, I have to, have, I have to have gotten this done. There's, 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 there's not a clock running. It, it's it's about forming a person, and, and this is the thing, another thing that gardening brings out, plants grow at different speeds, even of the very same species. I got a big zucchini plant out there, and I got a little zucchini plant out there that I planted the same day. And, it, it, you know, this is, this is, this is not, not to mention the, the different piglets in the litter that, that the, you know, a fortiori with human persons. Where each is so unique, it's you know this this system of where you have to do this at this year and and have met exactly this marker. You know, I um I don't know if you have heard the uh, the story. Um, of who was it? I'm drawing a blank on who it is, but I I think of it. I'll tell you. But he's he's um he's a great literary figure, and he uh he related that he didn't learn to read until he was about eleven. And he tells the story that um, when he was when he was ten years old, his mother actually said to him, "Well, it's it, it's really time for you to be to be reading." And he and he said, "I'd really prefer to have you keep reading to me." And you know, there's there's so much, you know sometimes we we push forward so quickly that the child needs to be able to do this on his own. Well, you know, life is in many ways about relationships, storytelling. Uh, reading out loud, such a beautiful, rich family experience, such a great education. In fact, you know, there's all the studies of how much a child learns by just having to listen to another tell a story or to read out loud. So to just give a sense again of, of the organic, each, each, each thing in its time. And especially for youth, you know, to be forming the mind at this point by beginning to expose them to, to these images and, and these stories. And we don't have to yet be asking necessarily, you know, for the accounts, which is ultimately what the wise man does. And that's precisely why, uh, as you point out, Stephen, Aristotle does, does say, you know, particularly for the heights of philosophy in metaphysics, this is something that it, it, it is really reserved for for someone who's had much more life experience. So to, to respect, there's a time, there's a season for everything. That's a big part of educating.
is your see i just keep agreeing with you so at times it's like i just want to say you know throw out an amen or whatever you know with with these things but as you're talking about gardening another thing came to my mind because we tried to garden a little bit here and there but we had never really had property until being in arkansas so once we got to arkansas we decided we're going to put in a garden and we're going to do this well this is we're in year two now and we're having some success but it's it's interesting in in addition to you know we just planted asparagus this year we're not going to see the fruits of it for two more years so mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. there's some waiting there but the nurturing aspect and especially when you're talking about education just stands out to me because it not only takes time but it takes daily attention and nurturing in our in my experience and you can't leave it and just let it you know, especially here in Arkansas, you you turn away for two weeks, and it's going to be a disaster, right? Um, but and it's nurturing though. It's, it's like you're saying, it's not beating the plants in. I mean, some pruning might need, need to happen at time or or thinning of things, but it's it's encouraging that growth and giving it what it needs. And this plant might need more water. This plant needs less water, and. I, I could go in all of these different analogies to gardening. The first year we didn't put a fence around our garden and guess what? The deer ate all of our, all of our crops. So just like in your children, right. you don't give a little bit of a, a fence there, you know, the deer of the world, I guess. I don't think deer have ever been used as like a, an, a negative context in the world, but, but the deer of the world will come and consume your, your crops in your right. There's some right. protection and lots of nurturing going on there. It's 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 right. a great example, right? And you know, I'm just um, really with you on um, again. We, we we parents know this, and I think by the grace of God, there's there's parents are more and more starting to have a heightened sense of I need to be looking for ways to be engaged with my children. That are that are simple, very simple, but enriching ways. And uh, you know, the uh, one beautiful aspect again, everything being interconnected. I, I just it, it jumped to mind as um, you were talking about planting and picturing you there with your children. Um, Odysseus's father is his name, Laertes, I think. Just the great image um, towards the end of the um, Odyssey where Laertes, the old man, is planting a tree. And, and there's, you know, there's just, there's, there's such a richness there of he's planting for something, he's planting something that's gonna bear fruit when he's not there. What, what, what an incredibly powerful image. This is such a lovely thing to be able to share together, to be able to speak of together, to be able to do together. These, these these simple richnesses that uh, allow for a sharing. And so I just, they're um, especially these, these um, rich things that we're having our children read. Let's make sure we're reading or rereading them with them. So, cause it's, you know, it's not about kind of, well, we've checked that box. They've, they've read, they've read such and such for them to be engaged in, in, in the richness of, those stories with us and, and somehow then integrating that into our life and the other things that we share together. Boy, what, again, what, what a richness, what an interconnectedness. And I've been 
recently over the last year, I think with Colby, I've been at a large focus on, I think you're saying our view of education, like we need to do these things. You've got to read these, you've got to get your assignments done. And I keep thinking to the richness of Colby's curriculum and all of these wonderful texts. And I think it's it would be a shame should you go through this reading them and thinking, I've got to do this, I've got to do this. And what, you know, what age of society do, do we have such leisure that we can spend the first 12 years of our lives reading these magnificent texts? And yet, if we're not careful, I think as you're right, as parents, we can make the experience of, of learning and this whole educational experience, you can you can cause them basically to to disdain to dislike these things so i i have to i have to thank you for some perspective in some of your videos bonnie shared this and said hey we might be doing this podcast so i went and i was doing some of your courses and through the through the years of our doing our podcast i always say well we homeschool all of our children and you know my wife does my wife does this and i'm you know i'm here for help or whatever but i was listening to one of your your talks and it, it, it i said wait I might not have been intentional about it, but I am doing something important. And an example for me came about that I had been reflecting on it, that I she does take care of the daily organizing, what they're going to be doing and trying to help them stay on, on task and keep moving along. But I had an opportunity when my son came down and he was talking about a subject he didn't love in particular, but there was something that I, it was a subject that I do like. But he was mentioning something, and I, I started talking to him about this. It's like, what did you think about that? Did you like this? And what did you think about that? And we sat down and had a 45-minute exciting conversation about this subject that wow. he wasn't overly fond about. And I thought, okay, that is that is my role as a cultivator, as a as a oh. as a father, is to take these opportunities when they come up and to engage and to say. I can't believe you're, you're you're reading about this. This is so interesting. Tell me more about this. And what did you think about that? And right. okay, even if I'm not getting lesson plans out or I'm not grading the paper or whatever, I'm an, I'm an important part of our homeschooling family. And that was just encouraging amen. to yep. me to think about that. Yep, yep, yep. amen, Stephen. And if I might just kind of amplify that, go along with you, and just um, a kind of beautiful further angle that's right behind what you said is um is the opportunity to deepen your relationship with your wife and it's it's i mean i i, I say this i say this from experience we're, we're, we're busy we're frankly almost always too busy which is a big part of our life of trying to figure out you know i i like to say there's a real truth to saying we're too busy but at the end of the day busyness always comes down to a matter of priorities. And Socrates says the great question that you would ask people is, are you treating lesser things as though they're more important and more important things as though they're lesser important? Or are you putting first things first, right? In a sense, that's one way of summing up the good life, to treat what's more, more important as though it's more important. That is the key to time management. We're always going to have too many things clamoring to be done. But the key in time management is to realize what comes first. And we can't enough remind ourselves as parents, not just as parents, as spouses, that 
this is the time that's given to us. This is the time that's given to us to forge a life together. This is the only time our children will have to really have had that primordial experience of dwelling together, of home life. It always begins with spouses. So sorry, I just went to 50,000 feet. Why, what and what you said brought that to mind is this aspect of, especially me as a husband, talking to husbands. I, I, I need to have my head in the game. And again, it's not most, as you point, it's not most about, well, maybe I'll just go in there and teach the math. Maybe that's great. But is my head in the game as being very intentional? How are we forming our children? What is our entire approach to education of our children? And now, okay, are we doing Colby? How are we doing this? How are we trying to make this an optimal part of how we are forming our children together? And I'd say, again, especially from the husband's perspective, that my wife needs me to not just be kind of patting on the head saying, you know, you go. Thank you so much for, for taking care of this. She needs me in any case in there, um, knowing what's fundamentally going on, asking the questions and discerning that with her. Again, at least at, at, least at, at, least at a high level at least at a high level. If she's going to be more involved in the day-to-day, -day, okay. But, but there's a way I can be involved in that by my really having my head, my intention in the game and backing her up by, my heart is in this. I understand what's going on. We are doing this together. That's not just to save her sanity, which it might, but it's also for the sake of strength of relationship which is always the basis then for both of our relationships with our children. So again, everything is so interconnected. Yeah. And I know I love to delve in with like, what is my own personal location? What is God calling me specifically to do? But as you're talking about that, it, it just brings to mind, look, when, when I got married, when I made a vow to my wife and she made a vow to me and we, we had the sacrament of marriage, we have a very clear vocation now, and Amen. that is the primary vocation. Everything else is under that, and it's through fulfilling that vocation that we are going to bring each other to heaven. We are going to hopefully bring our children to heaven. And so I love I love that's that is that's the important thing, I, I think. And, yeah. and it takes and we have to keep reminding ourselves, especially in the anti-conducive, unconducive context for men and women that is taking our thought and heart away from, frankly, the marriage, away from parenting, away from that community called the household and the richness of the activities that go on there. It's not about turning inward in a way that you're leaving the other behind. I think this is a very important philosophical point that we can get an image of here. I think it's very helpful and fits perfectly with what you just said, Stephen. Someone might say, well, what about those other things out there? Don't I have an obli higher obligation to, to other things? Here's the thing. Um, do I have ultimately a higher obligation to, you might say, the church or to the broader common good? I say, yes, very important truth there. But what is the main way that I fulfill that obligation? The main way in the normal course of life that I fulfill that obligation is by what I do in my marriage, family, and household. So it's not ultimately an inward turning. We're, we're, we're having a strong life here, 
always recognizing we're part of something bigger. We're doing this for the sake of serving the Lord. We're doing this for the sake of the broader common good. But by a natural plan, what that demands of us is an intense and rich household life, which, by the way, I can tell you from now a quarter century of dealing with wonderful people from wonderful families, even in our very good and strong communities and good and strong families, our young people need deeper relationships in their homes. They need deeper, more rooted relationships, especially with their parents. And, I, and I'm even going to focus especially with their father. And, and to always be having that in mind and kind of a rubric for all the other things we're doing. How can these things be conduits and contexts for deepening that relationship that's going to be so at the center of their identity, their self-confidence, as they go forth to grow more fully into themselves after they leave our home. I, th I think that challenge is just growing. I mean, so you were talking at the beginning, introducing yourself and about having grandchildren and children. I was thinking, I was thinking back to growing up in rural Wisconsin, where my grand, both my grandparents were in the same town. They lived two blocks apart and mm. um, all of, all of this, all of their children lived within an hour of their house, and most of them much closer than that. And everybody was there. So you, Sunday dinners, you know, everybody going to mass together was an easy thing. But just recently, living in rural Arkansas now, and my children getting ready to go off to college, we were having a conversation about what is this going to look like in, what will this look like in. 10 years, 15 years when my children aren't likely to settle in this area. They're likely to spread to all areas of the country. You know, So one of the things the foundation we're building now is super important because if if it's not there, it's gonna it's gonna fade away and die. But also we have to be, we're going to have to be more intentional about maintaining our relationships, you know, because it doesn't end just when they go off to college or whatever, of course, as we know. But it's, I think it's, it's, at least it takes more intentionality, I think, today than it did a couple of generations Amen. ago. Amen, Stephen. And I, 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 at the risk of repeating, I'm, I'm, I'm going to emphasize and I'm going to, I'm going to bring in to me one of my absolute favorite rich philosophical points. This is straight from the theologian and philosopher St. Thomas Aquinas. The fundamental in the formation of a human person is giving that person a taste. For the higher goods. Indeed, in many ways, you, that's another way you could kind of sum up what the formation of a human person is. Give that person a taste for the deeper, higher pleasures. St. Thomas at one point says, the soul that does not know the higher pleasures will tend to turn to the lower pleasures. If that doesn't explain an awful lot about the culture in which we live i don't know what does but your point th these are very challenging times in many ways it's like being in the catacombs there's certain things that are just not in our reach to have a certain kind of broader community certain kind of broader community might not so much be in our reach 
one thing that is at least reasonably in our reach that we can do for our children is give them a taste of the richness of a home life even if they're not going to be able to have had that kind of neighborhood village experience if nothing else we're going to we do all that we can right now to have them taste the notion the reality of home at the end of the day we're supposed to be thinking in terms of heaven as home but you can't think in terms of heaven as home if you don't have a very strong palpable tasteable experience of what home is so talk about formation of people form them to taste and know home so that then they can do that even if they're not going to be able to be with you and your community in the future I had a priest give very good advice. This is kind of on the opposite side of that, but but when saying looking looking at the sins that you commit over and over and over again, and saying, well, what's what's missing in your life? What important thing hmm. was it, is it? Whether it's love that of or or whatever it is that that's causing you to look for that good in this other thing. What is it in this thing that? that you're missing that you think you're getting going to get from this doing this over and over again that's not being fulfilled in in the rest of your life that you you you're focused here i'm pointing downward here you can't see on video but pointed down looking down rather than than seeing no this there's something bigger that i want i don't want this it gets yep. in the way um yep. i you know i think that that's absolutely true amen We've made mention of several of your offerings that we each of us has greatly valued. And would you spend a, a little bit telling us about Lifecraft and it, the offerings that you have for folks to take partake of? Sure, very happy to. Thanks for asking, Bonnie. Um, life's my my website is life-craft.org, and um, all the material there is always free. I am a five hundred one c three, which empowers me to be able to offer all these things for free. And um, fundamental thing that I started with and I'm, that I always do is um, a weekly Wednesday reflection, taking some great insight, normally of the agents, uh, sometimes of someone more modern or contemporary, trying to apply that to life. The other things now that we've built out are uh, the feature courses, are man of the household and woman of the household. Those are on-demand courses. So they're pre-recorded. One can go in there at any point. And, and, and the point of these courses is to give the principles and then the very concrete kind of direction and suggestions to encourage and empower us to live the rich household life that we so wanna have. And I deal with a lot of the difficult questions of the great gift of masculinity and femininity, the difference between man and woman. So starting with that's the center of energy in any, in any home, and then the relationship with children, and then the context in which we build those relationships. So the man in the household, the woman in the household courses are just four lectures each. There's downloadable questions and, and, and such. I also now have regular videos um, at YouTube um, that are short, that are looking to address the simple, but very difficult issues that arise when you're trying to be intentional about having a household. Things like how do you deal with discipline in the household? How do you how do you you know kind of deal with these particular challenges that, that come along? What are the kind of activities that are most helpful that we could try to do together? What kind of work? 
What kind of leisure? What's the difference between leisure and entertainment? So um, it's always with a philosophical root. But I think in God's great providence, the gift that I discovered that the Lord has offered to me in the classroom is to take these difficult philosophical principles and make them accessible. And I think that's a very special way what our age needs. We need to think more clearly. We need to have those right principles because we're constantly being bombarded with, of course, these undermining negative principles. So we go back to our tradition. We get these basic principles, how to think about the good life in the household. Um, and you know, for the sake of encouraging these relationships. So you already mentioned, Bonnie, the, the areas. Um, friendship is a particular one. Um, I've, I've got a lot of written material there. I've got articles. I've given many lectures. Those are all accessible there. And of course, the book that I've written on friendship, um, good work and leisure. Another thing that I uh, emphasize is being a natural steward. So I like I have like a stewardship plan, suggestions for how you can garden together, just the kind of concrete things that you say, ah, there's a lever I want to reach for. I want people to feel overwhelmed as though you have to do all these things at one time. It's just simple, basic steps to try to deepen this, deepen the richness of that household community, which should be at the center of our life. Well, sticking with the aviation references, as we bring the conversation we've been having in for a landing, do you have any thoughts you'd like to leave with our homeschooling families relating to things that we've been discussing today? Um, sure, absolutely. You know, it's, it's, it's always good to try to go back to kind of the most basic things. And I just, from my own experience as a parent, you know, one parent to another, it's so easy to be discouraged. And I, I just think we need to be forgiving of ourselves. We need to be forgiving of our spouse. We need to be forgiving our children. We need to, to understand that many aspects of the context in which we find ourselves is, is an unnatural one, is an especially grinding and grueling one. And so I think we do a disservice to ourselves if we if if we think, well, if we if we just get the right method, our homeschooling experience is just going to go so swimmingly well. It, it, in, in many ways, we are trying to deal with the post-industrial revolution context of households that have been cut off from their relatives cut off from a broader supporting community and cut off from a cultural, social, political, religious context that would have supported their values. It, it, we need to live in the truth that that is always a challenge. I'm not saying that to discourage. I'm saying that to say, hey, let's be grateful that we live in the age that we do, because that's always God's plan for us. And let's be grateful that by his grace, we're crafting something beautiful. We're in many ways swimming against the tide to do something beautiful with our spouse for our children. And, and, and let's again, give ourselves the credit for that and, and think maybe I'll just kind of leave again the, the image of it's about relationship. There's nothing sweeter in human life than doing rich activities with those that we love. And this is how we form our children. We invite them into what ultimately is life itself. 
what life is about, dwelling together richly with the Lord, in the Lord, forming ourselves to be more and more capable of that. That is the great charter of any household. And good academics are beautiful, very powerful part of that. But of course, they're just a part. Indeed. John, it's been a gift and a delight being a part of this conversation with you today. We really appreciate you coming to visit with us on the Colby Cast. Know of our prayers for you and your family and the work you're doing at Lifecraft and Christendom and elsewhere. Thanks so much. Oh, no, you're very, you're very welcome. And Stephen, I really appreciated that. Thank you very much for, for your, your all stimulating questions. I'm very grateful that you came on so we get to introduce you to Colby fathers throughout our school, because I do think that, you know, it's hard to be a father in today's world and, and a husband. Right. And I think a lot of the material you have, our fathers will really, and the fathers and husbands in Colby will really benefit from. I've, I've really appreciated them myself. So yeah, thank you for, for producing that. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. Subscribe to the Colby Cast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode. And let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or review. And as always, feel free to email us at podcast at colby.org. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.